This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, LS Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Love strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen proudly sponsored by the stfc official supporters club rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot you very much for agreeing to take part in these very uncertain times no pleasure's mine you've saved me an hour with the kids there so i owe you a point <laughs> to start with well firstly i hope you and the family are all well up in liverpool all good all good thank you and same to you yeah thank you uh, a few questions came in in regards to the current situation with the pandemic james bleach asks what's the best way to finish the season in your opinion uh would be to play it um I don't think that's what's going to happen, if I'm being honest. But I, what I'd like would be, and obviously now the fans can't be there, which would be a big loss to, for the fans and obviously the players as well. But um, what I'd like is that it does get finished by us playing out the remainder of the games, whether that be going into July, whatever. Mm. I think that's the the best way, I suppose, for the competition. Um, personally, looking from the outside in, I don't really think that's going to happen. I think it'll, it'll get ended without us playing it. Being honest, yeah. Chelsea Morris and Jamie Day ask: Are you prepared for either outcome regarding promotion or staying in League Two? And have you got a goal for either outcome of what you want to do next? Well, I don't think if if the season was to end, to end now, I don't think it'd be us staying in League Two. I think we'd go up. I think it'd be a, the average points. This is my opinion on, 
on all this. I think it would be the average points or as it stands, maybe. Um, so the club would be a League One club next year. So I think that really answers that question. Like the, the season's what, 75, 80% done. In my eyes, like it, it kind of it's shaped up that the, the lads that are, or the teams that are up there now are the, the favourites, I suppose you could say, are the, the ones most probable to go up. And I think that's how it should be. Yeah, I would agree with that. Simon Macy mm. does ask, um, what would you prefer behind closed doors or points per game? Obviously, you want to play football, but at this stage, it doesn't feel like it would be the same season anyway if it restarted. Well, to, to answer the question, I definitely want to play behind closed doors at the points per game, as long as everyone is is healthy and as long as we're not getting in the way of the, the frontline workers regarding getting testing and stuff like that. But no, I, def- I definitely want to finish the season now by playing it. it, will, it if, if it does return, it will feel like a different season. We'll have to go into many pre-seasons. There'll be, be lads that we thought might only get the last game or two of the season. That'll be rare and fit, ready to go. We'll have players back from injury, which is great. And a lot, I'm, I'm, Most clubs would be in that situation where they're coming back and they have a full squad. Yeah. Um, or there, thereabouts. So no, it's it'll, definitely unique, something that none of us ever thought would, would happen. Something none of us ever could see happen. So um, no, it'll definitely feel different, all right. But we'll know if 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 we do get back on the grass to play the the remainder of the games. Like we'll we'll know what we're playing for and stuff. So um, we know like there's there's ten games there that we we need to try to get the maximum of the points we can to to get over the line. Yeah, it's going to change the industry, isn't it, for footballers? It's going to change the way footballers think about how long they want to be at a club, what stability versus, you know, the next step and things like that. I don't think football in general is going to take as many gambles now after this. Everything will change. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting. None of us will know what that change looks like either. We all guess and <laughs> we have our opinions on things and how we think it's going to unfold, but we don't have a clue. Like we're, Me and you are sat here chatting, but we, it'll be in a week or two before anything gets decided. My opinion might be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we get back playing and... And some miracle is a vaccine the next three to four days that we all can manage to get and the, the stadiums are full <laughs> for the, the remainder of the games. But um, no, it's just, it's, it's a really, really unique thing. And just, I think obviously the, the main priority now is everyone being, or the majority, I suppose you could say, just being healthy and and, um, and trying to stay away from this, this virus. That is a mad. League One. When you were young, who was your favourite team and who were your football heroes growing up? Um, Robbie Kane be a hero of mine um, a funny story about me as a kid he actually was a Man United fan growing up and I went on, on trial to Man United when I was about 14 and hated it so much I came back a Liverpool fan <laughs> so um, and so I've been a Liverpool fan ever since then so <laughs> that's the uh, that's who I supported obviously growing up um, yeah I, I, I can't let you down, I can't let that one go I mean how bad was it it was the first time I ever came across, um, looking back on it now, it was the first time I ever came across lads that were full of themselves. It wasn't that it never really happened in, in Dublin growing up or anything. No one like, had a, an array of confidence, I suppose you could say. And um, But when I, when I came over on trial, there was, and now that I think of it, Danny Rose might have been in that pile, <laughs> pile of lads, but there was, <laughs> there was, um, yeah, it was the first time I ever came across like cocky lads, lads that are just full of themselves and stuff, and I hated it. And, um, I had a couple of weeks, a couple of different uh, like trials, I suppose you could say, and just hated it, hated every minute of it. So, and um, would have been the first time being away from home as well. So I would say all that came into it. But yeah, now the the kind of the not the hatred, but I, I've never supported them since. 
And um, now we're definitely a Liverpool fan, and the kids we brought up Liverpool fans as well. <laughs> you must have encountered many a cocky footballer in your pro career. How how do you deal with that? Is it just a case that you you know you go and do your own thing, or do you do you give them a, a, a you know a piece of your mind? It depends on where you are yourself in your own career. So like obviously for the first few years of my career, I would have just stayed away from them and let them to it and stuff. As opposed to the last year or two, and you become a senior pro. If they're annoying, you can just say it to their face, and, and most of the time they listen. It's got the experience to behind you, or whatever they, they know that not like sounding massive here or anything, but they know that you're not to be messed with in that sense, or that you've been around the block and such. Um, so now, like if, if a cocky player was to kind of upset me a bit, I'd I'd, um, I'd certainly let them know. Yeah. Mm. Whenever I look at the careers of guys, especially from Dublin, it always amazes me that so many young footballers don't stay at the same youth team they tend to go around the clubs and you are no different so you know if the internet has has not let me down you start off at Shelbourne is that correct that's correct yeah yeah and then you move on to Cherry Orchard and then Crumlin United not the Northern Ireland one the uh, the uh, the Dublin one um what were your experiences of of playing football as as a as a youngster in, in Dublin Oh, brilliant, yeah. Nothing but good memories, really. I was always in um, successful teams. Obviously, when you're a young footballer in Dublin, you kind of get to the age of around 12, 13, where you're playing games, and every game there's there's scouts from England at the games. Um, so that's your kind of ambition from then on, is to kind of, will I get a trial, will I get a trial? That's how it kind of works in, in Dublin. And then when the summer comes around, or like um, half terms during school and stuff, you might end up hopping on a plane over to have a trial at a club in Ireland or Scotland or wherever, or sorry, in England or Scotland or wherever, to um, obviously to try to get a contract for yourself. Um, and, th- and that's how it works. Like, and But the, the teams I played with as a kid growing up were always very successful. We we had the um, we won leagues or cups more or less every year um, growing up, and it was nothing but an enjoyable times. Were you one of those prolific goal scorers that I always talk about on this podcast, about like they score like... 80 goals in, in 20 games. Were you one of those guys? I was more of a winger, yeah. if I'm being honest. I was more of a winger until I was about 22, 21, 22. Um, I would have kind of played up front every now and again and stuff, but I would have been, as a kid, I would have been very quick. Not something like I'm showing these days, but uh, back in the day, like when I was a, a young teenager, I would have been very quick and I would have, I would have played out on the wing a lot, yeah. So goals, I wouldn't say... as skilled by football I wouldn't say my gold scoring record is very high you know why do you think English scouts are always in Dublin football youth football in Ireland is very very strong like there's been times where I suppose like when I, especially when I was coming through but like our club team would come over maybe for a week's training and play against an English side and we'd, we'd, we'd give them a good goal like we came over played Forest beat them 4-5-0 once that was under maybe 15 16s that type of thing happens. Like they're, the schoolboy football is really, really strong in Ireland, um, and I'd, I'd, I'd imagine that's why there's so many scouts that come over and and um, and, and try to pick the youngsters up to kind of get them get them early. Mm. So after your youth spell, you do join Shelbourne briefly. I, I almost went to Tolka Park once. We we got lost and ended up at Dallymount Park of Bohemians because we saw their big floodlights and just walked towards it and turns out we <laughs> took a wrong turn. Go figure. Um, but it doesn't work out there for whatever reason. But you start, you play your first game in the League of Ireland for Shamrock Rovers and at that point you're a winger still, correct? Yeah, I would have been on the playing left wing then. 
and maybe the odd game up front, more or less if maybe the, the strikers that were playing at the time were injured, I'd, I'd hop up there. But yeah, it was um, would have been very, very leggy as such. So I can I can do the hard work out on the out on the wing, and that's what, that's how we started off really. Yeah, mostly as a left winger. And and Shamrock Rovers are quite a big side at that point. I think you're managed by Pat Scully, who's got plenty of experience. Then Jim Crawford, is that right? That's right. The club was in a bit of a transition at the time. It was um, homeless, I suppose you could say. They were actually they were playing in Talca Park, which is Shelburne's ground. Yeah. And um, at that time, their stadium that they're in now in Talib was being built, um, which is a story in itself that goes back decades, really. Um, so, yeah, the, the club was in a bit of a transitional period. And I was there for, obviously, the, the last few days in Talca Park. And then when they forced me into the, to the, the new stadium in Tallinn, like that was a complete sellout, which is unheard of, really, in the League of Ireland. Um, but there was like me, me. Dad said after the game, and he was he was added like there was, there was grown men crying and stuff in the in the stands. to be waiting so long for this moment to basically be have their own home. Um, the fans, so it was a great occasion. The club has kicked on since then. It's really well run, professional club, and um, they're doing great stuff now. Yeah, and for a little while you were managed by by Michael O'Neill as well, weren't you? Who's now Stoke manager, Northern Ireland previously. That's right. Yeah, so he he came in, and that was. He came in the first year that we played in Tala, and obviously, if you look at his career, how it's gone, he's been unbelievably successful. But I was only there briefly under him, maybe four months, maybe five months. Um, came in and out, never really in the team, but came off the bench a couple of times, and, and then eventually moved down to Sligo. Yeah, and it's at Sligo where you first meet Paul Cook, who's a major figure in your career, isn't he? Yeah, huge. Yeah, he would have been the one that kind of stuck with me as a striker. Not originally, I would have started off as a, as a winger down there. But yeah, he's been he's been massive for my career. I think I've he, I've played from on three different occasions now. So he's um now we owe him for a lot of time for for Cookie. Yeah. So first two seasons, it looks like looking at your stats anyway, it looks like you're on the wing, and then you have that 2011 season where you become prolific, right? Yeah. So what happened was is that I was more or less a winger and. But I was scoring the odd goal coming in from the left and just making night runs into the box and, and things like that. And obviously, I would have been me finishing would have been good in training. And the strikers at the time were going through a bit of a um, a dry patch, and the team as well was going through a bit of a dry patch. So he, he changed it up a bit one one day I went over and just said, "Well, you're playing up front tonight." Um, and I scored a hat trick that day. I think it was against against Bray, and that, and that was it. Then I, I just stayed up front then for the rest of the season, more or less, and that and more or less been a been a striker ever since really does Jerry Yates know that you play on the wing on occasion I've told him yeah I've told him that I don't be time out there and, it's, and he has to do his time out there for me now so that's, <laughs> that's that's how I get away with that one before we leave Ireland what were your general sort of experiences of playing in that division because many Irish guys obviously they come over as a youth but you do your whole youth development in Ireland and you play your first few seasons in Ireland as well, which isn't super common really for well, from from the people that I've spoke to. Was it was it beneficial staying in the League of Ireland before making the jump to the British Isles? And indeed, was it ever a major ambition apart from the occasional trial? Was was coming to England and Scotland the big dream? It would have been as a young, young teenager, definitely, yeah. The um that would have been the goal and it didn't happen and that's genuinely like what it was like I just wasn't good enough at that age to, to make the move across the water so obviously we have to keep going and just keep plugging away in Ireland and like you have so much time for that league it made me who I was and you you look through I know you're saying there it's not as common 
for the Irish lads that come over, but it's it's more common now than it ever was. You look at uh, Seamus Coleman, Kevin Doyle, Shane Longs, yeah. um, all these play- Wes Hulahans, all these players have came to the League of Ireland now, um, basically getting doing their their early years there and and um, and really learning football. It's, I wouldn't have been able to make that jump over to England or Scotland straight away. So. Um, I'm very grateful to, to the league, definitely. Yeah, sure. Um, a couple of questions in this area. Differently, Dave asks, what did you learn from playing in the League of Ireland? And do you think it's something other talented Irish players should do before they head across the water, which is pretty much what you've said there? Yeah, um, obviously, just, yeah, the league, huge for me. I loved it. It was as tough. It was as tough as could be for me. I never thought the league was easy or anything like that at the time when I was playing it. It was as... It was very hard, and I learned so much from from playing in it. Um, I think Irish players, I think any player that's playing in any league wants to try and get to the best league they possibly can and play at the highest level they ever can. And that's that's no different when I was in. I never really thought about coming over here until I had that good season when I scored the, the uh, all the goals for Sligo that time. When things kind of you hear the odd rumor and such, and goes, oh maybe maybe you can do this, maybe you can do it. So. Um, yeah, that's kind of the outlook on well, the way I would have looked at it at the time. Yeah, and that pretty much answers Jack Tanner's question of did you always think you'd make it as a pro in Scotland and England after leaving Shamrock Rovers for Sligo? I mean, at that stage, are you, are you full-time football-wise or, or are you working as well? So I would have started off at Shamrock Rovers part-time, a qualified electrician if you ever ever need any sockets done in your house. So um, <laughs> that's what I would have, would have done early on. And then when I moved to Sligo, Sligo was full-time. Hmm. Um and yeah, that's how the Sligo years would have been full time. Yeah, Shamrock Rovers would have been part time. So you get that amazing 2011 season, and that gets the attentions of teams in Scotland and England. Was there anyone else other than Hibernian that was looking at you at that point? Um, in uh, Inverness, I had a call off Terry Butcher at the time. That was that was really it. There was no one else. Um, I was actually about 24 hours away from signing back for Sligo. And the call came in to go to Hibs, so I um, it's obviously a huge club. Like I was delighted to go over there and had a great eighteen months up there. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, this is where I really come in because I got a soft spot for Hibs because my family are fans. So I've always kept an eye on them. You join under Pat Fenlon. You join halfway through the season, don't you? And and how did you find that, that initial adapting to Scottish football? Yeah, very tough. Um, so yeah, I became I signed January and I signed January and we were in a relegation fight. Really, um, some good players at the at the club, all the same like Lee Griffiths up front, Gary O'Connor, two very good strikers. James McPay came in centre back, got home from Coventry. Um, Graham Stack was in goal, very, very good good players, but for some reason weren't really for some reason at the bottom of the league. Really, well, the bottom three or four places and. Pack, Pack came in that season as well and signed me not soon after. Um, and the, the jump was huge. I thought my first couple of games, so just the pace, the the strength of the players. I was like, oh, I've got a, I've got six months in the gym here to kind of catch up. And that's what I did. And I first went over, it was just every morning into the gym before training and after training, back into the gym. And I was living on my own up there, so I had no um, distractions or anything like that. Um, so it was very easy for me just to kind of really concentrate and, and adapting and getting getting up to the pace of the league. And I think we obviously we stayed up with a couple of games to go and got to a, a cup final, which didn't go very well for us. But we um no, it was really, really good um eye opener, I suppose you could say, 
gone over to Scotland for the time. Yeah, I mean, you had strike partners in Lee Griffiths, who's you know a big Hibs fan, and you had Gary O'Connor. So being there, done that sort of forwards, even though Lee Griffiths was sort of coming through. Was that beneficial to you when you moved over? I don't know. Like there were, a, it was a, a weird situation. I felt like I should have been playing them too. Obviously, with the confidence they have, thought they would have been playing, and I would have been in and out of the team. The, Griffiths would have stayed in the team, but Gary O'Connor would have came in and out as such. And um, but it was more the year after that where I kind of cemented me place in the team, and uh, O'Connor would have left, and and um, Pat would have went with myself and Griffiths up front for most of the season. So that's really what it was and then for six months I really looked at it in a sense of like this is make or break I'm going to have to give this everything here and, and see if I can actually compete at this level um, so I really knuckled down trained hard got in the gym and, and tried to get up to the pace with things and, and thankfully did We need to talk about that Falkirk game at Hamden the semi-final where Hibs are 3-0 down and you get the equaliser with a lovely finish that must have been a lovely moment for you I, I came on I came on at half time I think we're 3-0 down at half time and um, yeah I came on at half time <laughs> yeah mad mad occasion I remember being on the pitch warming up at half time and getting the call coming to the dressing room coming to the dressing room and I could overhear the coach in the shower going oh we're getting sacked we're going to get the sack here we're going to get the sack <laughs> the, um, he was talking to Pat at the time saying and then obviously to go out and and for us to turn it around like that was it was brilliant. Um, I think I got the equaliser. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, Griffiths got the got the winner in a, in, a, in at a time. So it was um, oh, it was some occasion, great day. Yeah, I would say that the uh, the full Kirk uh, defenders were backing off a wee bit too much, but hey, it was ahead yeah. of a finish. But the final, <laughs> but the final doesn't go to plan. Was that that year that Celtic beat us? Yeah. Are you thinking? Yeah. So well, the year before that, it hurt. So the derby, we actually got B five one. Um, that was awful. Yeah. Um, I remember, obviously, <clears throat> because we're both teams, obviously, being from Edinburgh, had to travel back from Hamden to Edinburgh, but we got stuck in the traffic of the Hearts fans because they obviously stayed back to celebrate. And obviously, us leaving the stadium after getting showers and, and doing our bits or whatever, we would have been gone around the same time as the Hearts fans. So we had about an hour and a half of just constant abuse down that Norway before going home. And it's just something I'll never forget. And obviously, the next year, when after that semi-final Celtic beat us 3-0 um, but we really put it to, like, put it to Celtic that day it was, a, it was a great occasion obviously the whole stadium was green um, the Hibs fans obviously the Celtic fans are known for how loud they are but the Hibs fans were louder that day it was, they were brilliant and it was, um, it was actually a great occasion I know the, the result didn't go as, as planned but we, we really gave it to them like, and, um, it's just unfortunate really Yeah I'm pretty sure you did play in a Hibs side that did beat Celtic and I know it's kind of it's one of those things where you know Celtic was so big in the sense of because they get all that European money. When you do get those victories, they do mean a lot, don't they, for teams outside of the old firm? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, we beat them one 0 at home, and it was like we won a cup final. Like the way, <laughs> or, yeah, just the, the way everyone behaves after and, and stuff. But like the players they had, like the um, like Wanyama was in the middle for them at the time, just bossing things, and like a teenager. I think he was nineteen. You, you thought this fellow was like in the prime of his career, he was brilliant, and yeah, they've, they've had some some big players over the years, and and a great club. So it's um now it's great. Always, it was nice to beat them, obviously, because they're they take one taking result off the, one of the big boys. But it's um a great occasion. So great, it's a great league up there. A lot of the fans are very passionate, and football's good, and it's um it's very enjoyable to play in. Yeah, and you played alongside uh, a few Swindon links as well. Ryan McGiven, who played for a little while um, at Swindon a couple of years ago. And of course, Sean O'Hanlon was up there at the same time, wasn't he? Yeah, to be fair, Sean was coming to the end. When, so when I was coming in, he was he was going out. 
um, we only had a, would have had a couple of games together. But um, obviously his, his kids are, um, I think they're YouTube yeah. heroes now, aren't they? Recreating goals and stuff. So now he's a great, great fella, Sean. He actually doesn't live too far from here. Almost freaking hunted him, surely. Absolutely ridiculous levels of ability those kids have got. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Ah, oh, brilliant, sir. I can't let us leave Hibs without taking my cousin Mikey's uh, questions. Um, he asks you, what was your favourite moment during your Hibs career? It'd be that semi-final, the one, the semi-final where we um, we came back from 3-0 down to, to win, to get into the cup final. The, it, it also, when I first signed, the year we first signed, we, we stayed up in a couple of games to go, but it was, it was I think it was cemented in our last home game of the season. And... Um, Walking around the, the the ground after kind of doing your lap of honour as such, but the all the fans with the scarves up singing "Sunshine on Leith" yeah. that that memory will uh, forever stay with me. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing when they when they do that in full yeah. full blast. Um, he he would like you to know that you once cost him a kebab when he lost a bet that you would score no more than ten goals during the twenty thirteen season, <laughs> and you scored eleven. So he just wanted <laughs> you to be aware of that. <laughs> and uh, his last comment was, and it leads us quite nicely as a segue is. Why did you choose Chesterfield after Hibs? I've got, I think I've got an idea. Yeah, there was a couple of reasons. Obviously, uh, Cookie ca- called me. It would have been like February, March time. I had a, I'd signed a pre-contract with them to go down in the summer. I think I signed it in March. But I spent a lot. I spent a lot of time thinking about it because I was going from the Scottish Premiership to League Two, and um, Hibs had offered me a new deal. Not a not a great one, but they had offered me a new deal and wanted to, to keep me at the club, and um, but. I was uh, that year. Rangers had gone bust, and there was a, a couple of issues with different clubs at the time. And no one I really spoke to. I actually seeked a lot of advice from different people, and no one told me not to go down to England. Everyone said, "No, you're, this is the time to leave Scotland. If you've got an opportunity, go down south. Go down south." So um, I just listened to that advice and and and, and moved down. I think it hurts fans of teams like Hibs when they're in the sort of top flight of Scottish football and then their players decide to move down to the fourth tier of English football. I think it's kind of one of those things that just sort of dents pride, doesn't it? But you've got to do what you've got to do, right? You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. I mean, Chesterfield, it goes very, very well for you, doesn't it? I mean, the first season, you sort of bed in quite well, get amongst the goals, but that second season just really goes. So you get promotion, and then in the third tier, you, you, you tear it apart, which is the same years when Swindon were were pushing for a playoff alongside Chesterfield. It was a great year, wasn't it? Yeah, brilliant. Um, it was a great six months anyway. I was there till, till January. The, yeah, the goals are flying in. I remember playing against Swindon that team and, and just couldn't, could not get near the team. I was foddering them in goal, playing like a centre mid, centre mid and <laughs> getting on the ball and passing around and spraying, spraying the ball everywhere. And the, the talent in that team as well, it was... It was a really tough team to play against, and always gave us always gave us a hard time. I think he might have beat us twice that season, maybe. Um, but yeah, the great, great. Obviously, gone down there. We won the league, um, first time of asking, and then we and there was a whole new team. I think there was only maybe like four or five players that were there the season beforehand. So Cookie had brought in a whole new team, really, and. Um, um, 
funny story to get because because everyone was new and he wanted everyone to gel real quick before pre-season started everyone got a message saying right everyone meet at East Midlands airport basically it was like say you're supposed to be in for the 1st of June everyone be there for the 27th of May or something and don't bring your boots so we basically went over there did a bit of running on the beach and just had a stag do for for three days all got to all got to know each other came back had a good tough pre-season got the business won the league <laughs> straight up into league one and then and then obviously league one we had a great start we beat momentum which is huge like and i know i think the, the gaffer has sp- spoke to, to me anyway about things but that's the similar way he'd like to attack league one if we were to get up next year is that you know you have that momentum as a promoted club you can keep the the basically the the majority of the players together as such they know each other inside out and you can really have a good go of it next year in a, in a higher division and um, and that's that's what happened at Chesterfield and um, we were we were doing great we that that season I had left by January but that was the highest ever position that Chesterfield have, have finished in their in their history got to the playoffs and it was um that was a great year How, what was the fallout like when you left because obviously it's something that you know all lower league teams fears when when a player does very very well the likelihood is they'll be noticed by other other players um other teams is it just one of those things that we have to deal with as fans or were you sort of torn between staying until the end of the season or and moving on no at the time i wanted to as i said earlier like you know you've, you've got these ambitions of sometimes you don't even think about ambitions but when things are going well and you start hearing rumours, you go, oh my God, I might be able to make the next step up, I might be able to play in the championship. And and, and I would have been of that mindset once the goals are flowing, I would have wanted to to leave, I would have wanted the club to accept an offer if an offer came in, and, and they did. Um, so that's that's where my head would have been at with it really. Like it's, it's, you'd always want to play as high as you possibly can. Um, it's difficult for la for I know it's difficult for fans sometimes to, to hear these types of things as well. But like I like Owen Doyle was never a Chesterfield fan it, it, as a kid or anything growing up. You know, if it had been Liverpool or Celtic, for example, I did I'd struggle to ever leave them clubs if I was playing for them and, and bids came in from other clubs. But it's not like that. You're kinda I'm coming over here from Dublin and this is my job and I want to do the best for the club that I'm playing for. But I know to do that I need to be the best that I can by perform the best I can if if I am to kick on to the next level, I'd want to do that, and um, that's would have been that would have been the mindset I had at the time. And yeah, I'm, I'm I'm grateful that it did happen like that. Yeah, and it happened with Cardiff City. Were were they the only team in for you, or were there a few options for you? Um, it was a deadline day move, so loads of rumours going up to the January. So I got the call on the on the on the morning to go down there, and um, halfway down, I pulled in, I had to pull into the to the motorway things on the M42 maybe or something, and. My agent rang me and says that West Brom had to come in. And West Brom would have been in the Premier League at the time. And apparently, the uh, Carlton Cole was, well, this is what my agent would say, the Carlton Cole was in the building doing a medical. And he was like, Yeah, you can, um, they're just waiting on this medical to go through, but just they're not they're not too confident. So so just park up for a few minutes, park up there for an hour maybe. So I'm stuck in a hard shoulder, the M42, twiddling my thumbs, and the, the clock's ticking. Still have a few hours' drive, I have to get down to Cardiff. So after 20 minutes, I lost patience. I rang him. I was like, "What's going on?" He was like, "No, just, just, you know, just drive the car. If I can't see, I can't see it happening." So, <laughs> so yeah, drive down the car. If anyway, we get there with a couple of hours to spare and sign the deal. Deal's done. We're sat in the office, and then always my agent pick up the phone. And he, he walks out of the room, and I know by his face that something's after happening there. And he never, he hasn't said to me to this day 
what the what the call was, but I have a feeling it was um, it was West Brom coming back in because Carlton Cole never signed for them in the end, and they, they didn't sign a striker that day. So um, oh, man. yeah, you never yeah you never know. But that's that's how that move kind of how it happened, how the day panned out. That's your Premiership story there, so Premier League story right there the, <laughs> on the on the motorway waiting for the call that never came. And I mean on on deadline days regardless of if you're involved in it or not is it seen as this sort of spectacle within the industry you know sky sports news have whipped it up because like the rest of the the rest of europe don't really care about deadline day like we do we we turn it into a whole circus do you guys sort of like all sort of sit around the tv and see what's going on and then see your name mentioned and and you know you know nothing of it is it is it, is it an event for you guys i think i might have the record for deadline days i think i've done five um, over the years, so like, there's no one, there's no one really more experienced out there than me and dealing with them, and I hate them. Yeah. Um, you just most of the time there's a build up there for a week or two, and then obviously the time's running out, so it has to be done now. That that type of thing. Um, but there is sometimes where, yeah, you're you're literally on the phone all all morning or after training or even during not during training on the grass, but you're you're in the building of the the training ground and and, and your phone's gone off and. You'd be getting pulled into the manager's office to say such and such came in, and we'd be happy for you to go, or the opposite, saying we don't want you to go, but these have come in, all that type of things, and it's it can be a stressful time. I I scrap the window, or even just make it a week long or something in January, just to help out clubs if they needed, um, if they needed to get players in. But the um, now it's a, it's, a, it's a proper unique situation. It's it's something I, I personally don't enjoy, and it obviously has been glamorized and. On Sky, but a lot of a lot of movement happens on deadline day. Like I'd, I'd imagine a really high percentage of the the actual deals that get done and transfer windows happen on that day, because basically going to put the people's heads and it's time to move now and this is it. You've only got a few hours. We need the squad for the season and for the next six months, whatever it's going to be, and and that's how it works out. So it's 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 very unique. Do many players tell their agents to bugger off if they say, "Look, I can get you to Derby County if you go by if you go now"? Or do, do, do you guys push back at all in in relation to those sort of uh, those dealings? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I would have in the past turned down moves down south to stay up north, mm-hmm. things like that, to so-called bigger clubs or whatever, just to kind of just to keep me base where I am now. And and um, now definitely, yeah, there's, there's definitely pushback, and it's definitely it works works two ways. Yeah. Well, you were raised in a fantastic city of that is Dublin. You moved to Edinburgh, another fantastic city. I don't know where you're based with Chesterfield, but Cardiff is another great city. Um, what were your experiences of playing in the championship with them? That would have been similar to the the jump up from when I said from going to Ireland to Scotland. I had the same feeling going from League One to the championship, where just everyone was that little bit quicker, everyone was that little bit stronger. And I felt I had to adapt very quickly. Um, I done okay. I was only there for I was only the long long term deal, but I was only actually there for playing for Cardiff for the, the second half of that season. Um, and I scored five and maybe fifteen or sixteen games and enjoyed. It was a weird time for the club. They they'd been relegated the year before from the Prem, and they would have been going through a bit of transition themselves. And obviously the madness with, with Vincent Tan as well. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't much like it wasn't very stable as such. Like everyone kind of on edge, but it was. It was great experience, really loved it. The club is huge, like a great club. They've got all the facilities, they look after the players, the city's great. Um, we loved our, our short time there. But And for me leaving, like, they, they never wanted me to leave. It was me, I forced the move really in, in that sense. It was the start next season came around, obviously done pre-season. And, um, the season started and we'd been on the bench not getting on. And then 
would have been very frustrated and because I just I just finished the season where I'd scored 30 goals and I wanted to double down and I want to do this again. I want to score goals all the time. Yeah. That's how I was feeling. Next thing, I'm, I'm not playing. And I was like, what's going on? I need to play, I need to play. And um, I would I would have forced myself to, to, to move out. I knew it would have been interesting me there because of how how well I'd done the year before and that's that's how we moved the press and came about. You sound like a feisty character. I just love playing football, that's all. The, um, <laughs> and, uh, I wouldn't want to be cross and I'm not playing. <laughs> but no, it just like, any any moves, I know I've moved a lot over the years, I've only ever moved to play. That's 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 really it. Look, I've actually, like, if you look at the amount of games I've played throughout my career, there hasn't been many seasons where I haven't played much. I've always just wanted to play football and, and be playing on a Saturday. And you know, I, still, I still have that feeling now, I just, just love playing. Yeah, and you went to Preston North End, who were still, you know, fresh from stuffing Swindon at Wembley and you go up there and firstly on loan isn't it so you play for Simon Grayson and and then you you join afterwards how did you find that yeah I enjoyed it that's when I would have, would have moved to Liverpool um so when I when I was in Sligo obviously when Cookie was there he would have signed a few scousers that I'm still very close with now and Kieran my wife is close with their their friends and wives and that's that's why we moved to Liverpool so now we're south of Preston so it was easy to make that move in the sense of when okay to be happy she'll have her a base of friends around us and make that my life a little bit easier I suppose you could say to, to concentrate on the football so really enjoyed it the, the first year in and out um, but played a lot would have been back on the wing a fair bit for Preston um, doing, doing the shift but the but um, no but really enjoyed it great club like run really really well all the lads brilliant there they had a great time and then obviously they signed me permanently they, they would have bought me then the following summer so um no, great. Really enjoyed my time there. Is it difficult when you come into a club which is bouncing from from a, from a promotion season with very popular centre forwards, and your job is to try and muscle in and try and get games? Is it is it tricky to win the fans over in that in that sense? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, the um, when I came in, Beckford would have been injured, so he would have had a long term injury, which would have helped my uh, chance of getting into the team. And for a good few. Good part chunk of the season would have been myself and Joe Garner playing up front together. Definitely, but you, when you get to the championship, the squads become a bit bigger. There's more of the lads are coming in and out of teams, and it's all for that. Um, it's more for the, the team rather than the individual as such, because it's it's a really demanding league. It's very phys- physically demanding, and, and and lads need to come out of the team every now and again to rest, and so you can go again. So I was um, no, but I've nothing but but good things to say about Preston. Really, really enjoyed my time there, and all the lads are brilliant, and that was great. And does that make it sort of a, more of a shame that it ended the way it did? Not really, no. Like, I suppose you're talking about me getting sent off with Beckford that time. But <laughs> uh, it, that's not, that wouldn't really be in the end. And I bet I would have came back into the team after that for a period and the apologies were made and all that stuff. But um, yeah, maybe. I, I wouldn't, well, I know I've played against them since. Now the fans don't, aren't too fond of me there. So it's, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it looks like that. But again, I, I, I would have asked to leave because I wanted to play. Yeah. I was finding myself on the on the on the bench quite a lot there, not getting off the bench. And I I wanted to, to go out and play football. That, that that's how that would have would have happened. Oh, we love a bit of drama, don't we? We love a bit of drama. We <laughs> had it we had it around you know, a few years before that with Leon Clark who had a ding dong with Paolo De Canio on the uh, on the pitch <laughs> after the game and you know, when most things people just write shake shake hands, move on, but because of the media, because of fans just talking about it all the time, we just don't let it sort of simmer, do we, until <laughs> until it just gets blown completely out of proportion. But it got you a move back with uh, Paul Cook and you moved, you went south to play for Portsmouth. 
that was a championship season. Um, did you did you get a medal for that? Well, I haven't received a medal. Ah. But I only played, played only played twelve games. I went down. It is. Yeah, I think it's ten. But no, I went down and I got injured. I got injured after the twelve games out for the season. So. I was dis- disappointed that I missed the last maybe 10 games of the season. Yeah. But no, really huge club, Portsmouth. Like, just a really, really um, honour to play for them, really. Like, you'd see how, how passionate they are and stuff. And it was a, it was a great season, obviously, to, to go on and win the league. And they were only, the club was only top of the league for the last two minutes of the whole season. And they ended up being the... Perfect. The, the champions, you just you couldn't yeah, write it, yeah. Perfect. That's the way it should be. Right in at the end. Um, yeah, every player that I've spoke to who's played for Portsmouth have said the same thing. It's 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 bigger than what people sort of uh, sort of sort of think, I suppose. Even though they had all those years in the Premier League. So when you so Oldham Athletic, with respect, given what you've been telling me, it I, I find it quite odd that you joined Oldham, other than geography. I, I see this as, as, a, as a sort of, not a sidestep quite. Is, is, was that the only option you had or was it you were just sold a project? What, what happened there? No, that was um, that would have been a, when, when I spoke earlier of turning down big clubs down south to, to stay local. That would have been that situation. I had just done the, the travelling to Portsmouth. Oh, it was only for a short period of time when he played 12 games, but it was demanding on Kira and the kids. And I, I, we said I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> Charlton. Charlton came in, Carl Robinson on the phone, and um, I, I just said no, I can't, I can't do it. Um, I need, I need to stay local. So, so thankfully, all of them were there to kind of to take me in, and that's obviously where where the force came across the gaffer as well. Yeah, of course. So I think it's John Sheridan that that brought you uh, to Oldham, but it's the majority of it with Richie Wellens. So tell us what your experiences at Oldham was like with Richie. Yeah, well, brilliant. Um, he obviously did. Shells didn't last too long. I think I was only there two or three games, and and he was gone. And then um, the gaffer came in to to as I was caretaker really. And then he just done so well. He, he changed a couple of minor things within the team, and just they had to give him the job. I think we won the the, the first six games. I think he played sixty one six. And we keep telling him I got him got him his job. So he's um. I scored all the goals that time from them six games, so I had a good, I had a good period. And don't I always let them know about that now as well. Anytime you have a little disagreement, I tell them, "Hey, I got, I got you into management." So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, we, um, no, he was brilliant. Obviously, we straight away you could see what, like how good he is, and he obviously really comes to light on a, the day before the game where he's talking about the opposition and how we're gonna beat them and stuff, and. Um, just reminds me of a, of a younger version of Cookie, really. And that's what got you that move to, to Bradford City. And again, geographically fantastic for you. Size of club, even better for you. But you join them again during one of those sort of transitions. And, and I've spoke to Paul Caddis, who said similar about this, where, I mean, this is a period where Bradford are yo-yoing between League One and League Two, like Swindon have been doing. What went wrong, really, at Bradford? I guess the question is not necessarily for you, but you. There's, there's not one particular thing. Like there would have been a lot there. Obviously, the the owner at the time didn't have the best interests of the club. Really, where he thought he did, where he could run it himself without really having any experience in football. Um, that was a major problem. And then obviously, the 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 fans would have been. Like striking against him as the season was going on, we're starting the season. The fans are like vocally not happy with the management that he's picked, and 
it was just a really weird situation to go into. Like we start the season and there's not really much positivity around. You know, when you start every season, every fan is positive, but you you do the press maybe before before games and there wouldn't be one positive question asked of you or the manager or anything. It was just a weird weird situation. And then there was a chopping chain of managers throughout the season. Um, and obviously you've seen me enough of me now. You wouldn't you know I wouldn't be one from the aerial ability. So that's all we really did there. The new Hopkin came in, he just wanted to launch it. Just just launch it like and that's just not my style of play. Like it was never really gonna be yeah. successful. It just didn't really work out that that way and, and the club ended up going down. It was just couldn't get out of it. On paper you'd look at the squad and you'd think, How how is this this club on the league? Like how but just style of play was just so different to what lads were used to and what it just didn't suit the lads. The 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 manager style didn't suit the lads that he had in the in the squad, and um, and when January came, he didn't really didn't really f- fix that either. So it was just a it was just a tough situation for the club. In your opinion, based on what you've experienced in your career, how many times should a club really change their manager? Because three times in a season never ends well, does it? No, definitely not. No, I don't know if you can put a number or a figure on it. It's difficult to look at. Like you can. You could look at some manager. Look, it's not nice anyone losing their job. You know that way. But sometimes they're just not up to it yeah. as well. And I thought that was the case there with with um, with Hopkin. I wouldn't have minded if January came and he got a big target man in, and that's what everyone was after. I was even saying it to him, let's go get a target man. But it never happened. And and then to continue to to go long just to to be real one football. It was just it was hard. Like it was difficult out season. I feel really sorry for the fans there because they they come out and they they support to. Support the club so well, and they just um, they never really got they never really got looked after for the last couple of years, really. Here's Rooney with the layoff. Williams looking for the early cross. It's coming step to uh, oh, it's a superb goal by Luongo. Swindon take the lead, another ball for Brentford after their devastation of just a week ago. Well, we talked about a team finding a piece of real quality. We've just seen it from Massimo Luongo. The touch of quality we needed. It's a stunning opening goal. And that brings us to the 2019-2020 season. And I'll be honest, I've been staring at this season and, and sort of my prep for this for ages, not knowing really what on earth to do with it. So I think we'll, we'll start pre-season. So before the season starts... Were you eagerly anticipating a new season with Bradford or did you have doubts that you would be kept or would suit Gary Bowyer's style? No, I was made aware in the summer that I was basically for sale yeah. and they were trying to recoup money from me. That's um, what I was told in the summer. So obviously went back for pre-season. Um, I was told as long as I'm here, I'll be given my fair chance as such. So obviously went through pre-season, done well in pre-season for them. Nothing really came about, um, and then played the first started the first three games of the season, albeit in a, in a, a the false position. I was playing as a the tip of a diamond behind two strikers, um, so did, obviously I didn't come off them games doing particularly well. Um, I didn't enjoy playing in them really either. It's not my position, like, but he was eager to get the, the three strikers in the team as such that he had because on paper we're. I suppose you could say we're all all good strikers for this division, and um, yeah, and then obviously the, the ended up moving to Swindon. Yeah, I mean, from our side, you you were linked to Swindon in the summer, 
Um, and of course, as you said, they started the campaign with Bradford. Having played a few times, from what I've read, it was clear it wasn't working out. It didn't seem that the fans were really on your side. What, what options did you have during that that summer when they said you can go to eventually joining Swindon? Were there a few clubs out there or was Swindon... Because like you said, you, you don't really like sort of being away from your family because it, it, it it's tricky and that's more than understandable. Was was Richie Wellens the pulling power there, or was was there any other option? There was loads of talk and real, like there was a handful of us at Bradford that were available. Basically, I suppose you could say, and I was the one that would have had the most rumours surrounding them. I suppose, but with never any con- no, no concrete offer ever came in. Mm-hmm. So like, like I wouldn't every every like two or three days I'd go by and I'd get a call saying, "Would you be interested?" And I'd say yes or no, but it never actually materialised. Um. There was rumours that I was very close to signing for Blackpool, but that manager actually got sacked when there was a new takeover there. Um, and then, and then obviously when the gaffer rang me, and he said, "Do you want to meet up?" I met, I met up with him, and he explained. <laughs> so I met up, I met up with him just beside his house there, and he, he when I sat down. He pulled out a, a roster of the next fifty days, and he says, "Bring that roster home to Kira and, and show her that this will work." So he's obviously he's very generous to me with the uh, with the odd day off, and um, I brought it back to Kira, and Kira said, "Go ahead." So um, I obviously knew, like deep down, I had said to him throughout the summer when we had, when we had spoke before, and I was like, "Listen, it's too far away, um, you know, I want to play for you. It's just it's it's too far away." Um, but obviously, he was able to to make it happen by by, by shaping the week for me, um, and and make it happen for me and my family, and it's and it's, it's been great. Like there's been not one regret about it. When, when you're playing in the tip of the diamonds and it's not working for you, regardless to whether you're out of position, do you do you start to lose faith in your ability in that in that in that situation? Oh yeah, God, all sorts of starts going through your head. Yeah, you start, you start thinking that I ever have ability. Um, but yeah, no, it's just it's not for me. You you obviously know from seeing me, I'm a I'm a box player. I like to play on the shoulder, that type of thing. Me being in there trying to get on the turn and stuff, it's just it's an, it's no comfortable position for me. Um, but I understand the manager's thought process behind it as well, and um, get the three strikers into the team, and and let's let's just get the, get, get us the goals really. But I am um, one of them. I very very much think that you're only as good as your service, and I'm not one for giving much service. So it was um, <laughs> and it was a difficult <laughs> difficult difficult time. So you make your debut for Swindon away at Exeter City. Uh, we're 1-0 down with only a few minutes to go and that's where the start of a beautiful friendship started. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I remember coming in at half-time at that game and, and I think I turned around to Noel Hunt and I was like, I haven't had this many chances in a game in about 18 months. <laughs> and and I, I, you know what, I only probably, when I look back at the highlights, we only had two chances, I think, in the first half and but there was balls coming across the box and lads were getting to the end line Izzy was putting crosses in and um, just a really, really like, like funnily enough, like at Bradford, my only hope of scoring a goal was Cads. So like the right back, would I would have been hanging everything on the right back, trying to supply me with service. That's what it, that's what it felt like when I was at Bradford. So um, just coming down to Swindon, um, just uh, ah stop. The, obviously saying that I hunt you half time then to, to get the equaliser, um, and had another chance. Well, I didn't have another chance. The goal just allowed and the, the new handball reel. Yeah. Um, stopped that from being allowed, but no, it was a it was a good day. Yeah, and that, and after that, really, you start to I guess because in my in my mind, you joined quite 
shortly before that game. That's what I'm trying to say there. So what was your feelings when you joined that team? Because, of course, there were plenty of people they knew. Richie Wellens, Noel Hunt, you would have played alongside at Portsmouth. Danny Rose as well. What what was the feeling within the camp at that stage? It's difficult. Obviously, when you're first signed for a club, it's your nervous going in. You don't really have a... You don't really know how the dressing room is shaped and how people act around each other and stuff. So I'm always very quiet and just at ease. I'm not at ease, but nervous. Um, I would I would only speak when I'm spoken to really, and for the first week or two, um, until you can kind of get settled in really and, and get to know the lads a bit better. So that was difficult. I think I signed the day before. Yeah. Um, the day before the, that that game, but the lads are great. Um, it's not not one bad egg in that dressing room, and everyone just really enjoys that company. So I was very quickly settling in. Yeah, and then you, you we have the fast that was that Northampton game. We'll move on from that. You get a brace away at Cheltenham, and then you have that Morecambe game where we really sort began to see the Owen Doyle, the goal scorer, and and that was a really good day, wasn't it? And then that followed the the great away day at Leighton Orient, and then you got another brace, and that's I mean that was just such a good start. There's a little dip where you become normal and don't score for a few games. But I just remember like the sun shining and th- that August, it, it almost felt like a party already at that stage. It was, you know, I remember Lloyd Isgrove going off against, I think it was Macclesfield and just the, the evasion he was getting. It was, it was like it was May. Yeah, no, brilliant. Like, and uh, this is where you have to kind of really um, praise the gaffer in his recruitment and such is that he's just signed lots of really, really exciting players. And there's nothing better for the striker, like for me, especially who... Is a box player as such that you just you've got loads of service. You've got players that can just uh, just excite people to get bums off seats with a, um, with excitement. And, and Izzy's definitely one of them players. Um, Keshi doubts even from a, a deeper Jerry. There's so many. I'm I'm missing five or six names here, but the, the team is still so good, especially in the in the attacking sense. I think we've got all the best attackers in the league, hands down. <laughs> That's, I don't even I'm not even exaggerating there. Yeah, the stats will tell you it's a Grimsby player, which is all very, very odd indeed. But how important is is, is your relationship with Jerry Yates to make this work? Is it crucial or can you sort of be just like professional on the pitch and not know them too much off the pitch? Is is, is that sort of link up integral? Um, yeah, we think so. Obviously, myself and Jerry, obviously for most of the season, it's been Jerry out on, Jerry's played mostly on the left. Um, but obviously at the start it would have been the two of us that were up top um, for most of it and, and obviously that's where the, the camaraderie came I think just you look at me and Jerry we're very much team players we, we kind of um, sing off that same hymn sheet and we just really enjoy running around and trying to trying to help the lads and, and nick the odd goal and, um, but Jerry's such a talented player he's he's obviously the the joker of the group as well and, and, and a great character as well to back it up but he's He's really he's got he's got a great great future ahead of him. He's bundles of ability. You can see how good he is out on the left as well as as, as being a striker. He um, I'm excited to see where he'll go in his career definitely. And he suggested it's a bit of a master and apprentice relationship that he has with you, where um, of course that he's learning from you. I don't think there's too much I can teach him. He's he's better than me. He's a better all round player than me. I think I think he might be surprised at how sometimes I might finish. So if I'm doing finishing. I'll say he'll say how did you score there? I'll say yeah, aim for the keeper. So it's some funny, funny thing I'd say to when I go through one on one. There's sometimes where there's just no gap, and a lot of time I'll just aim for the keeper's legs because they're going to move the legs, and hopefully they'll go through. And there's been a or through a defender's legs sometimes to kind of uh, shock the keeper. I think that's really the only thing I've ever really had to say to him over the 
the course of the season. Everything else he he does naturally. He's he's a talented player. He's a hell of a finisher as well. Um, and I'm very confident that if I wasn't here this season and it was Jerry that was up there on his own all year, he'd be the one that has is the top goal scorer in the league for for sure. The very very well when he's been up top. But that brings us to the run. Just absolutely crazy. Um, and all the way through that run, you were very, very sort of quick to say like, I, it's it's the it's the contributions from the others that are really assisting in this. Have you ever experienced anything in your career like that run? Um, obviously, at that, at um, at Chesterfield, I would have had a, a, a similar goal scoring uh, tally at that time of the season. But no, obviously to go on a run like that for so many games. But look, I know I will go back to it. Like the the lads in this team are so good at finding me in the box. It's like I'm I'm extremely grateful to all of them. They they are really really good. Um, you're picking a player the months and stuff, and I don't think I deserve them. I said like none of my goals is no step overs, top corners, overhead kicks, none of that. They're mostly tap ins. I rarely take a second touch even when I'm when I'm finishing. So it's um. I feel like a bit of a scam artist really when I'm picking up, <laughs> picking up awards like that and I'm not, doing, I'm not the one that's doing the hard work out there but obviously a great run and I think it was Port Vale away was the game it stopped it was a horrible horrible game mm. but um, I remember having a chance as he came on and he put in a great ball from a corner I think and I, I headed it down and it went through the keeper's legs and, and came, bounced up and hit his, hit his arse on the line and he, he managed to smother it and I was thinking ah oh, that's, that's just the end of it now I knew then I knew then that they, it wasn't going to be, it was going to stop then. So, um, no, I'm very grateful for the run, but obviously I'll just go back to, to the lads and, and, and just how good they are at finding me. Yeah, I mean, it's a level with a record as old as Harry Morris's is impressive enough, to be honest. We talk about like the, the dressing room. Who are the, the characters in there? What we... I won't give too much away now. It's, um, it's a sacred place, the dressing room, but obviously Jerry B, Jerry's definitely up there. Bit of a character, he's... He's able to mix with everyone. He's he's one of them type of lads where there's no um like I know if I was in that dressing room and there was three Irish lads no one to get a, a, a chat out with me, it'd be me and the three <laughs> Irish lads and that'd be the end of it. But the um now Jerry's able to mingle, he gets around all the different groups and stuff and he's able to get right in there. So he's definitely definitely up there. You've got characters like like Doubts and Kane's a character in himself as well. So that, there's so many Granty, there's so many in there that are just um just so many different personalities and everyone bounces off each other really well. Everyone gets on great. It's, it's, a, it's a really enjoyable dressing room to be involved with. What was the highlight for you in that run, that goal scoring run? What, what was the big highlights for you? I never, um, I never really thought about the run ever, like uh, until maybe it was goal number nine or ten, and people were saying to me, "You have to score for the ninth goal game in a row." There, and I was like, "Did I? Yeah, I didn't actually." Um, think of it like that I just uh, for, for some reason I was just there were so many games as well it was just training games play the games let's try win I'll try score let's try win I'll try that, that was really the mindset I had, I had throughout the whole thing um, it was only when it was on like 9, 10 the 11th game or whatever that it was people were kind of really saying is he going to do it again will he do it again and I might have started thinking a bit about it then maybe um, taking shots I shouldn't have been really and you know kind of having that that mindset in there, but no, there was nowhere. Um, I think it started with Plymouth, did it at home? It did, yeah. And that that got that was a great team goal. We started from the back, and Jordan played a great great pass into me, and I managed to, to dink it over the keeper. And I think the camera the camera work for some reason that day was a bit of a, it's a derby, a bit of a derby. So the camera work that day was great. Yeah, it was televised. Um, so, it was yes. <laughs> so um, 
yeah, so there was a bit of a it just the goal looked a bit better, felt a bit better on the day, and it was um, and that was really good. Really enjoyed them games against them this year because it's two teams that are going about things the right way. How they play the game, trying to get promoted by playing good football, and um, they, they've been two really enjoyable games to play in. So I'd say that that goal would be the would be the one. Yeah, the the of that run, I'd say that'd be the highlight. Yeah. yeah. Well, this podcast during that time, you know, we do a weekly review and we take listeners' questions and we ponder them. We don't necessarily answer them because we don't know the answers. But I've never known a time like it. From beginning to end, your lone career is one of the most bizarre series of events I've encountered as a football fan. Every week, the question, well, what if we can't keep Doyle? And our answer, our stock answer was, let's just think about that in January, all right? Let's, let's, let's just, you know... Bradford don't want him. It's quite clear. The fans don't seem to like him. If you base, you know, social media as the indicator of that, it'll be fine. Don't worry. It comes to your last game against Plymouth, which, I mean, if you if you say that your, your favourite goal from the run was the goal at home against Plymouth, what a way to end it if it was to end at that stage with the winner again away at Plymouth. Yeah, well, that's the best feeling I've ever had in football was that day when I jumped into the crowd. I've never never felt that like. It was just, I've seen a gap open up between a couple of stewards and all the fans running down. I was like, oh, I'm jumping, I'm jumping the barrier here. I'm getting in amongst them. And just, um, just brilliant. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. It was definitely worth the yellow card and the, I think the £10 fine that the FA give you for when you get booked. So it was a tenner well spent. But the, definitely me, Definitely my favourite, best feeling I've ever had in football was that day when I scored that goal. And I think the occasion added to it, um, the fact that it was a big day for Plymouth as well. They'd opened the stand, it was such a big attendance. And it's always nice when you can go and upset that as well when you're in the away team. And, and the game itself, as I said earlier, it was just toe-to-toe. They had an attack, we had an attack. It was such an open game. It was just a really, really enjoyable game to play in. And I'd say if you were a neutral in the stand, you would have just loved it. Like that's 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 football. It would have looked a couple of leagues above League Two as well. Yeah. Um. And obviously to get that to get that winner and to get in amongst them fans, yeah, just what a feeling. But going back to, um, just before that game, like the day before, wouldn't have been nice in the sense of like I hadn't said too much to the lads in the dressing room. An inkling that kind of was eighty percent certain that they were going to call me back. Like I had to like pack me boots into the into me me car and stuff and take everything out of the, out of the county ground because I wasn't sure if I'd be coming back because the next game was against Bradford and I knew I wasn't going to be playing in that. So yeah, so the next game was against Bradford and then the the recall could have happened I think three days after that game. Yeah. So I would have been ten days in limbo basically. So I had to pack the car up and and take everything out just in case and. That was that was a nice, um, and then obviously just it was a roller coaster. Then for, oh. well, the whole month of January was a roller coaster, really. Like, but have never known anything like it. I mean, before the Plymouth game, you you go on an offensive of this is where I want to be, this is where I want to stay. I want to stay at Swindon. I don't want to go back to Bradford, but football being football, we will have to see what happens. And I think we all knew that you were going to have to go back to Bradford because you know. The, the the run, you know, it's not your fault, but the run made Bradford look silly because they let a, a player go and now he's, you know, detrimental to their own promotion push because Swindon are up there and Bradford are sort of there and thereabouts. But, 
if they had your goals, they'd be top of the league and laughing. And it, it was just such a weird time. What we're getting as fans at that moment, especially those on social media, it's just Bradford fans relentlessly mocking and and both sides are just obsessed with this Owen Doyle saga. How did you sort of dim that? I mean, there's no way you could have avoided it. Um, do you mean the social, the social media aspect of things? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, we'll start with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I only read what I'm tagged in. Basically, like I don't go searching for stuff on Owen Doyle or anything like that. Um, and just some stuff is just laughable. Like I come home after a game and you know, open up. I'd open up social media or whatever and just me and Kira would have a laugh at some of the some of the nonsense really that's getting thrown at, thrown out or talked about or whatever. It's just um bit of a it was a bit of a weird time all right. It was, and as you said, it obviously didn't look great on Bradford and and to be fair to the club to Swindon, like they tried so hard even from early December to try and um just just cement me staying no matter what. Mm. But Bradford were like, no, we'll just we'll see in January, we'll see in January kept playing along. I'd met Bowyer in December. Um and told him to man to man basically that look I do not want to come back I want to stay at Swindon you let me go so we'll deal us up at Bradford you, it was a season long loan this is where I want to be I want to play for Swindon and he was like well they're saying they'll call you back and I, we had it out I, um, it, was, it was just a real weird situation it, like you have to take like, during that meeting with Gary Bowyer like, the two, like I sat back and started laughing at one stage and he's like what are you laughing at and he goes I bet you this is the first time in, in your management career where you've tried to sign a player and the player is telling you to your face that he doesn't want to come back and play with you. <laughs> and, and and he had a giggle himself that time and he was like, yeah, but this is this is probably what's going to happen. And I was like, well, I'm telling you now that I don't want that to happen. And without, I didn't, I, I said to him at the time, it says like, the own Doyle, the players for Swindon can't be the own Doyle at Bradford. It's just because you've played two totally different styles of football and it's not going to work. Um, and ultimately, when they called me back, that's what happened. Like it was, it was, it's, it's like that. And this, this is where I go back to the, the team and the squad and the players I have around me. Like it's not this, it's not really on Doyle season. It's, it's Swindon season, and it's all them attacking players that are able to, to find me inside the box really to, uh, basically make me look better than I am. And, um, and it, okay, it's a really, it's something I, I live and die by. It's something I genuinely believe. Like. Um, and, and listen, I've proved that by going back to Bradford, not scoring, um, and then obviously thankfully I was able to come back to Swindon. And then by the end of the month, so it all worked out well. It did. Did did Bowyer want you really? I don't think he did. He said he did. Um, unique situation. Like he he came in. It was weird. I go. I was going back there. He knew I was unhappy. So the, the first day of training, I just went straight into his office and I asked to leave straight away. I says, like, I don't know why you've called me back. I says, I know why you've called me back. I says, but it's not the right thing. It's not the right thing for me or you. I says, I want to go back to Swindon. Um, and, I, and to be fair, all this, for the whole of the month of January, Swindon were trying, like the gaffer, um, Paul Jewell, Mr. Power, all were like, throwing everything at Bradford to try to get me back. I couldn't thank them enough for that. And, and ultimately held on as well, because it was late in the window when I, when I went back and... Um, they 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 show good uh, faith and, and and holding off me like, um. So I was I'm, I'm very grateful for that as well. And like I I just went in there on the first day and I was like I want to leave and he was like no just go out training you're here, um we get through the the game and on the weekend he'd be playing Crawley and he, they had in his head they had in their head that because I scored a hat trick against yeah. Crawley I'll do it again and sure it wasn't it wasn't to be like and it was a totally different game. 
just didn't even feel like we were playing. It didn't feel like it was the same Crawley that Swindon played when I went to play them with Bradford. Um, but look, he kept me away from the, the the club a lot because he knew I wasn't um, I wasn't happy there. Like I wasn't going in and and being a bad egg in the dressing room or anything. That's not in my nature. But if if someone asked me, like if a player asked me in there, how what's happening with you? What are you happy? I'd be I tell them the truth. They'd be like, no, we don't want to be here. I don't want to play for this club, and that's nothing got to do with the club itself. It's just the situation that unfolded. Like they they didn't want me, and they and and they let me go, and then because things didn't go their way, they called me back, and that's basically ultimately what happened. Like, yeah. um, and so like week week to week, I wouldn't. I'd he tried to. He, he was making it out that he was treating me the same as I was at Swindon. That might get me the goals for. It. I've got these extra days off and such. So I was only really going in there on maybe a Thursday and a Friday and a playing Saturday. Um, me personally I felt he was just trying to keep me away from the lads um, just because of how I was about the place maybe and, and look on a Saturday it's not as if I wasn't trying I was running around but just the chances weren't there I'm not the type of striker that suits that team um, and I was trying to say this to him throughout the whole thing and throughout the whole month and then eventually we played Mansfield away we got beat 3-0 and it was a Saturday it was a bad 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 defeat and we um, I don't think Mansfield had won a game at home in about 12 weeks, something crazy, and then they ended up winning 3-0 against Bradford. So, obviously, we all got the rocket after the game and, and got, got told we're in Sunday morning, trying at 9 o'clock. So, I was at the training ground for eight, waiting for him, and he came in, and I just straight into his office, and I was like, listen, this has to stop now. Like, it's best for both of us if I go. He agreed. So, we um, that's when I was able to really get back under the phone to the gaffer and ultimately uh, Mr. Power done what he had to do to get it over the line. Yeah, that Ryan Sparks interview on their local radio station was definitely... Oh, he, he, the guy sounds stressed when he was saying that, you know, we for, for Bradford fans, it would have started with, well, now we've got Doyle back, Vaughan's been scoring goals, Doyle's going to come back and score hat-tricks against Crawley, and at the end of the month... Vaughan's going to Blackpool. You're going back to Swindon, so it must have been just like the worst week for for the guys who have to make those announcements for them. Yeah, and to be fair, to, like, when when Ryan Sparks made that did that interview, I hadn't left the club yet. Um, I was in in limbo really. That would have been in between the time of me having this meeting with with Bowyer and with me actually get. Well, the clubs basically finalising things for me to come back to Swindon, so it was um, it was a bit premature the, the interview as well. So, but listen, it was a unique time and it was a unique situation. Like for a, a player to get sent out on loan to a rival to then do very well at their expense to come back to not do well, um, very unique, very unique, very weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah, how how did the the players sort of treat you. You were guarded from them, but they, were they okay generally, or was there reason? Uh, not as good lads there. Like they are good lads, and they, like, I feel sorry for them as well. They've been through a tough time there over uh, when I was there as well. They, obviously, with the relegation last year and um, this year hasn't you could say hasn't really gone as planned. I think they would have been favourites. We would have been favourites to go yeah. up at the start of the season. Um, so they've had a tough. But they, they are good lads. Like and there's no no bad eggs there and I know, look, I'm not a bad egg I was just being honest with them if they asked me the question I'd, I'd honestly I'd ask honestly I went out and trained as I trained I was a, being a professional um, turned up on a Saturday and done the best I could but it just wasn't to be like it's just it, it, the match wasn't there really yeah I mean I felt borderline anxiety when he played for Bradford because uh, 
you know, every time you played, we didn't want you to score because we wanted you back. And then when you did sort of, you, there was a really good assist that you made in one game. And I was just like, oh, come on, Owen, no, don't do it. <laughs> but it was, it, it didn't play out that way. And you came back and it was, it was a wonderful feeling. Um, it wasn't too detrimental to the season, your absence. I mean, we did lose a couple of games. Come back for that huge game against Exeter City, which is probably my favourite that I've been to because it felt like a real promotion sort of to and fro between two good teams. Unfortunately, the weather ruined it. But, you know... How how tempted were you to uh, to claim that goal? <laughs> oh, the, I came off, I think, with a couple of minutes to go in the game and Mildy turned around to me and goes, did you get a touch on that? And I was like, what are you, ta- what are you talking about? And he was like, the goal. And I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't nowhere near the goal. <laughs> I, didn't, I actually didn't even know. He was, I was that far away from it. I didn't even know. But um, uh, no, I wasn't, I wasn't really tempted. It was nowhere near me. Like I think it was just a bad sun. The ca- whatever way the sun was shining on the camera angle after kind of threw it. Yeah, threw the commentator. But um, I'll take, I'll take anything. But I, I couldn't take that. Yeah, even the uh, stadium announcer put it down as an own goal. You know that was what was so weird about it. Um, the second spell, the permanent spell. So it's 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 a, it's a spell until the end of the season. We've got plenty of questions about that, which we'll get to. But what I really liked about part two of Owen Doyle and Swindon is it's not necessarily about the goals where you have played well in every game, but it's all about the distribution, the team, the team effort, and that's what you've been calling about all the way through that run. You've you've been talking about. It's the team, not Owen Doyle. And that's what we saw in the second because all the other guys were getting amongst the goals. Jordan Lydon's goal at Northampton. You know, Jayasimi's been chipping in. Um, it, it's been, it, it just felt, it, again, it clicked, didn't it? Yes, definitely. Um, obviously, brilliant coming back and so happy like <laughs> just to get it over the line and, and just to try um, basically get promotion for the club for the season. This is where I wanted to be, obviously. Um, and devastated to get called back and then obviously for it all to come around and come full circle and to be able to, to come back was brilliant just to, to go back to the Exeter game like the, that game obviously was a full house and I, I get to the games very early I usually I tend to get to the games about half twelve I like to get in there and just, just mingle around the place talk to people but it took me about 45 minutes to get from the car to the <laughs> to get into the entrance that day it was just brilliant like everyone coming over and just everyone was happy that I was back I was happier that I was back and um, it just it just felt right, and and obviously as you say, look since then it's just been it's been really good. Results have been have been great. We're doing very well. The goals haven't been as prolific as they were pre-Christmas, I suppose you could say. But I've definitely been chipping in with the odd assist and um, doing little bits there. But conditions as well have been very tough. We've turned into a, a team where people. Well, there was rumours that people were calling us soft because we play too much noise football. We're not ruthless enough, and then conditions force us into basically force and wins, which was great. It's a really good sign of a good team. We playing in hurricanes for about a month straight, yeah. it felt like and, and we were digging digging results out and um and rightly so de- deserved winners in, in every game. So it's um it's a really enjoyable team to play in and um and a great club to play for and I enjoy, enjoyed every minute of it so far. What's with the guys in the car park with the big autograph things? You do it the same people every week. I don't understand who are those autographs for? Yeah, I've no idea. I we get fifty pence for them maybe on eBay, something like that. <laughs> Before we go into the closing questions, we, we have to be grateful to you as well because you know, having spoke to Richie Wellens and Paul Caddis in the last week, it turns out that you're responsible for his return. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would have been given the gaffer a hard time over over signing him for a good while. 
I kept saying it to him, and obviously, as you mentioned, and when he was speaking to you, he he was looking at the park had us evolved and a different different team and a different time. And um, but I knew Cads where he was now and how good he was now, valuable he'd be to our team. And I said it to him. I said, listen, I says you're getting the best if you sign him, you're getting the best fullback you could possibly have in this league. And um, I don't think I I don't think I've been wrong in saying that. What's the secret behind Richie Wellens' success at Swindon so far, without achieving promotion yet, but things have been looking great. The the change of mood at Swindon Town has changed, especially within the fan base. What's the secret behind that? Yes, definitely. He's obviously, well, firstly for us, he's he's a good man manager. Gives me the, the odd extra day off. I can't complain too much. Mm-hmm. Um, his his eye for the game is as impressive as I've ever seen from any manager. So come a Friday and he's done his homework, him and John Shannon and, and uh, Hunty and Tommy and all they've done, Mildy, they've done all their homework on the opposition and, and when he's telling us what to do and how it's going to look on a Saturday and nine, out, nine times out of ten, that's how it unfolds. Um, he'll set us up. We'll watch our video on a Friday um, before training, then we'll go out and we'll, we'll practice it on a Friday and, and nine, out, nine times out of ten, he, um, he knows how to beat the opposition. And and that's where for me he's he's at his most impressive. He's obviously, but he's a good guy. He's a he's a young manager as well, so he's very um, up to date with how fans and like social media and all that stuff is now. He knows how to interact with people. He's a good talker. He he um, he's good. He's been he's obviously been great, and it's um, it's paying off. I think all the well the fans do love him, and and rightly so. But um, let's just pray to God we can get over the line. It's I've asked all the questions that I've got, so let's go with some listeners' questions before we say goodbye. We'll start with James, who lives in Chesterfield. He says, I can recall Doyle becoming a legend at Chesterfield due to a great scoring record. What are the similarities between scoring goals in that Chesterfield season and this Swindon season? Yeah, very similar. So, um, it, it, it basically was a very similar style of football. Lads had to get it down and play, and and, and tread the opposition and as, a, as I said about the gaffer earlier on where he reminds me of a young cookie that's cookie similar on a Friday how he sets us up how he how he sees the opposition and, and explain very clearly to us how we go out and beat them um, whether that be home or away and, and that's basically it's like deja vu at times when I, when I see um, the gaffer now going through it so it's um, um, very similar very similar yeah mm-hmm. very enjoyable to play in yeah, I'm skipping a few questions. If you, your question isn't read out, it's purely because Owen covered it during our conversation. Trust STFC said, did you follow the Trust STFC Greatest Foreigner of the 21st Century competition? Were you happy to finish second behind Maslowongo, even though he, you've only been here less than one year? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I would have briefly uh, seen it, yeah. Um, thanks very much for getting to the final. Um, an honour, a great honour. And um, now, obviously, what a player to be beaten by as well. He was the, the standout player for me when we played against um, Swindon all them years ago when I was at Chesterfield. And he's really kicked on and had a great career himself. A worthy winner indeed. And fair play to the lads as well for, for throwing out that type of competition as well. It's, um, and especially in these times, it's giving, giving people <laughs> stuff to, to think about. and It's good. I think they accidentally uh, upset Raphael uh, Branco briefly. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't their fault, I don't think. Okay, Harry Murphy says, if you had to live on a desert island with one current player, who would it be? Oh, God. Real highbrow questions here. Only the the Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, a real a room with Michael Doughty. So I'm not saying Michael Doughty because I've, I've been in that room feels like you're on a deserted island with him sometimes. Um, so <laughs> uh, who would I go with? I like Luke McCormick's company. Uh, Cads, obviously. Um, a lot of time for I probably have to go for cards. There we go. Pete Norris says, "What's it like to have thousands of people chant your name? Uh, given its reputation as a town, what's the most surprising thing about Swindon as a place?" Um, well, to the first question, yeah, brilliant. The song is brilliant as well, and hats off to Marley for the for the name. Bit of a character in himself, and um, yeah, really, really enjoy it. It's probably the, fav- my, the favorite one I've had over the years. Um, yeah, Swindon's been great. The um, I obviously dip in and out quite a lot, um, but really en- enjoy the area, the people. Everyone seems so nice and friendly. Um, yeah, really good. You wait until you don't score for 10 games, then we'll see what the town <laughs> yeah. is like in that respect. Uh, Remo asks, who's the best player that you've played with and against? The best I've played with is Aidan McGeady. Mm-hmm. Um, very talented, just like, scary skills just you can do stuff with his feet that don't look possible um, so he'd be the best player to play against I can't really I can't really pick a player I can pick the odd performance mm-hmm. over the years like in, when I was at Preston uh, when Ross McCormick was doing very well at Fulham every time I played against him he over like a course of 18 months he was just scoring free kicks and just outrageous goals um, you look at Wanyama at Celtic Scott Brown at Celtic um God, I, I can't pick one. I won't be able to pick one. Yeah. Josh Strange asks, what's your favourite three moments this season? Favourite three moments? God, what's my favourite three moments? The, the hat-trick at Crawley, the Plymouth goal and signing back. Lovely stuff. Alex Carter says, who from the current squad has the best chance of playing Premier League football in the next few seasons? Keshi Anderson. Uh, Mark Dorman says, do you plan to play for another season, whether it be with Swindon or closer to home? Let me just add to that, because um, the Swindon advertiser, um, I don't think the journalists are covering sport now. And the last article that's just sitting on their website is you talking about going back to Ireland and working on your business. So are you planning to stay in England for much longer? And if so, would it be with Swindon, I suppose, is the question. Yeah, no, um, long term, myself and my family will we'll be going back to Ireland. Um, Kira's obviously from, from Dublin as well. Um, and we want our kids to grow up around our grandparents and stuff. Um, that would be the plan. But no, we'll be, we'll be staying over here until the, and playing until the legs won't allow it anymore. Um, and hopefully that's with Swindon. I love, obviously, it's difficult times now. It's not the time to be talking about sure. um, extensions and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, God, the, um, I'd love to to hang around here for a few more years definitely Shazza loves Gary Barlow forever asks <laughs> it's the second time I've had to say that um, oh, what, a, what a name <laughs> best thing to do to relax oh god good question I like to um, it depends on where you are or whatever but my mind to be at its most relaxed when I'm out road running I love going out for a jog just a little plod every now and again and um, that's where I can, I can really clear my mind <laughs> um, obviously in the house here a glass of red wine and maybe a boxer with Kira would do for me I was going to say uh, when I was doing my research you told Hibs that sitting on the sofa was your was your uh, thing to relax so you, you've changed in time well done what what box sets are you into? 
At the moment, we've just finished um, Ozark and we've moved on to Money Heist. Lovely. Ozark was very, very good. Cool. Yeah, pretty, pretty stressful. Oh, my goodness, yes. Cassidy McMackin, aged eight, says, if you don't play for Sweden again, how can I get your autograph? Um, good question. Um, you'll organise that for me, Rich, will you? If you can get his details, I'll send something down. Of course I will. No problem yeah. at all. Then we get into the silliness. Crispy asks, what's your favourite cheese? Yeah, I'm not a big I'm not a big cheese fan, but I'd probably go with a gouda. Ooh, yes. I'm the only reason I'm saying that is because I, I actually fed the kids a bit of that this morning, so that's the last one I've seen. Lovely stuff. George Wilkins asks, what's your favourite pint? Guinness. There we go. Um, Alexander Hughes says, what's your favourite sandwich? God, a sandwich. <laughs> um, back in, in Dublin, it's very easy to walk into any shop and they'll have a, a, an unbelievable deli. And the chicken fillet rolls in, in Ireland are just to die for. Yes, um, so that's that'll be up there, a chicken fillet roll. Nice. Look around. One, two, three, three, two says, what's your favourite band or musician? Um, I dip in and out of things, but I'd pay quite a lot of money to see Oasis if they ever were to get back. So I'd probably go with Oasis. Michael Gray and Leap ask, is it too late to get a call up for the Ireland national team? Yes. <laughs> Ah, uh, Ben Swindon says, who would you consider the second best ginger player of all time? I'm so sorry. Amazing. Um, amazing. Well, I've recently gave myself a skinhead. I've been very much liking to Steve Sidwell. But <laughs> I probably have to be Scolds, wouldn't I? Scolds, probably. I think yeah. so. Uh, Timmy asks, how close was your wife to applying for injunctions against several Swindon fans in January? <laughs> Yeah, no, she she was enjoying the um, she was enjoying the attention. I can tell you that much. It was the one where she mentioned a, a, a very common road name and a big one in Liverpool, and people thought yeah. she was in the one in Swindon. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember it. I remember the day well when she came home. And she she's driving to the dentist, and when she when she, when she came home, she was like, "My phone is hopping." I was like, "What's up?" She goes, I "Mentioned there was angry. Is there a Queen's driving Swindon?" I was like, "Yeah, it's not far from the stadium." And um. And she was like, oh, the, the fans all think we're down there now. I was like, what? So she was showing me all the, the, the notifications on her phone. Oh, you're having a giggle. Brilliant. <laughs> Dom asks, does your wife and kids refer to you as Ginger Pele at home? My eldest every now and again. Yeah, every now and again. If he's feeling nice, he'll call me Ginger Pele. But when he, he's not happy with me, he'll call me a ginger and walk off. So, um yeah, there's a nice little um, he has a nice little boy to him, all right. But yeah, there's a bit of yeah, he doesn't just slag me every now and again. <laughs> and finally, Nathan Norris adds, "Do your kids sing the Ginger Pele song at home?" No, they haven't. They don't know it. They haven't been. Um, they came down to the game. They got called off against Scunthorpe. That would have been the only game they were at this season. Oh. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, they would have heard it there. I'm sure. But the um, no, no, they don't know it. Well, Owen, thoroughly enjoyed that. Thank you very much for giving so much of your time. I hope you feel good. All good, and thanks for having me on, and love to do it again sometime. Lovely stuff. Owen, thank you very much. Gent. The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford, and the artwork is provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Come on, boys. Come on, boys.
for it's a grand old team to play for. And it's a grand old team to see. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 